When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Jeff Billard, and you're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. When we left our hero, he was just off to his inaugural banquet. We rejoin him in the aftermath. This is Day 7, Part 4. Heavy Traffic on Memory Lane. It is the seventh day of the return to Watergate. The time and place of writing is a bit after eleven o'clock at night in the Arkwell Privy Library, atop the manse of the Vice-Chancellor. We begin. Well, then. Fancy a game of chess, self-old man? The answer to that is an unqualified no, but what you want, and what you're going to get, must, in this instance at least, be two very different things. The board was set up long before you arrived. The pieces are already in motion. The game is on, with you or without you. You don't have to play... But that won't save you from losing. Couldn't have that. No, that wouldn't do at all. (sighs) And the evening started off so nicely. Give Baz credit. (laughs) You know, you ought to write that on your hand or something. Give 
Baz credit. She had you believing it was she had dropped the ball on the matter of your post-inaugural transportation. Now, however, you are inclined to think that said ball was snatched away, and she recovered quite nicely, considering the sex. <laughs> Hopefully you weren't too cross with her, but surely you can be forgiven. You'd been eagerly anticipating lunch for over an hour, and your tissues still hadn't entirely recovered from your flirtation with starvation. If she hadn't called you when she did, you'd have been tempted to chuck tradition and just walk to this blasted banquet, over corpses if need be. You're glad that you didn't. Opaque though most of it may be to you, Every element of this song and dance has some sort of significance or symbolism, and you get the sense that this bit was important to Baz. Personally, you know. She's got so many jobs that you forget her official one. She is your steward, which also makes her your equerry, and a sort of unofficial consigliere. Looking back, you realize that the ride from Regent House is a sort of official-unofficial grace period between a new VC's inauguration and their introduction to the University Council. Gives the steward a chance to deliver a brief on what's what and who's whom. Very sensible. Pity that's not what happened. <laughs> With everything that's gone on, you never quite found time to make yourself into an expert on the nuts and bolts of university governance. After all the bastard wrangling you've had to do, you'd been riding the assumption that a hatful of academics ought to be a walk in the park. Hmm. It's quite clear that you have underestimated them. Perhaps fatally so. Yes... For a start, they're not all academics. From the meager bit of prep you had done, you knew that the University Council has thirteen seats in all. <clears throat> Alright. First, there's the four seats of the Electors Collegium. Those rotate between different college heads, so you figured they ought to be alright. As far as they know, you'll be in situ for the next century, so they're not too likely to pick fights unnecessarily. Then there are the Electors Scholastic. Only three seats, but they're held by scholars. Absolute wild cards. But still, at least they're ordigations. Yes. But then there's another four seats. The Elector's Regent. It seems any member of Regent House can stand for those, and... Ah, ah well. You can jump off that bridge when you come to it. The good news is that the final two seats on the council belong to you. That is to say, one of them belongs to our beloved Chancellor. But, unless old Peter Abelard decides to stop being dead long enough to declare some provision for his replacement, the Chancellor's vote devolves to the VC. 
In practice, therefore, you ought to only need five out of eleven on any given vote. Unless there's something you're missing. Which does seem likely. Hmm. There, now this is exactly the sort of stuff bears ought to have been spoon-feeding you on the ride over to the banquet. But, <laughs> that was... <sighs> well, that's really where you ought to start, isn't it? Yes. Your long-delayed ride. In your steward's defense, getting hold of a car in Altergate is a fiendishly tricky task. As you were reminded upon your arrival a week ago, when you had to lug your luggage from the western Barbican, the city of Aldergate keeps its sphincters pretty tight in matters vehicular. All rooted in history, of course. Since the bad old days of the Forsaking, persons of low character have attempted to take advantage of the uncertain relationship between the university and crown law. There have been dreadfully saddening cases. Some innocent college goes to all the trouble and expense of bribing or bullying priceless cultural artifacts out of their natural habitats, only to have some lawless brute break in and pinch the things. Well, one can't tolerate that sort of behavior. It would be an ugly and complicated business to try operating a customs house at the city gates, but, on the other hand, one hates to see a haywain or merchant's wagon suddenly sprout a dozen brawny lads intent on smash-and-grabbing university treasures. The solution that's evolved over time is a sort of dray system. As far as common trade goods are concerned, the School of Logistics at Bray College built and operates a lovely distribution center just off the Aldergate Bypass. All automated now. A 100% robotic environment, courtesy of the Buckminster Nanofab. Anything outside the city that needs to get inside gets offloaded, sorted, and shuttled through the city wall and into the city's own liveried vans for distribution. Just fine for the apples and pencils. However, if you want to get a new car into Aldergate without the university's strictly rationed blessing, you've more or less got to cut it into bits and smuggle it in in your trouser pockets. Supply is desperately limited. When your ride went missing, therefore, it was not a simple matter to replace it. Hmm. Give Baz credit. She knew without asking that, for this auspicious occasion, she wasn't getting you into her little banana-mobile. <laughs> Give Baz credit. She found a jolly nice replacement. <laughs> Better living through data, what? Big Sister is watching you, and Baznet knows every vehicle registration in the city. A phone call here, a mayday there, and she was dragging you back to Queen's Parade with all the grim-faced determination of a district attorney escorting a mafia informant to the courthouse. And wouldn't you know it, the carriage that awaited you turned out to be an old friend. Well, old enemy, more like. 
There can hardly be two scarlet Rolls Royce cloudesks lurking about Aldergate. And when you met this one a few days ago, it tried to splatter you all over the back door of the Bloodletters Club. This afternoon, however, it was much matier. It welcomed you with open doors. Baz slid onto the banquette beside you. Your astonishingly enormous chauffeur closed the door, and it was bung-ho for the banquet. Yes. That cloud-esque now. A piece of machinery, self, you will not deny it. You're not the sort of chap who gets giddy over cars, but even as one accustomed to the finer things, you could tell that you were in the presence of greatness. It did have rather an odd smell about it, a bit like hot metal and a bit like old fish. But again, you're no expert. For all you know, it's supposed to be like that. And far be it from you to insult your gracious benefactor, whoever he is. Baz got coy when you asked who she'd pulled through in the clutch, but you shouldn't have much trouble tracking down the old gent with the bandaged cheek. You've got to at least send him a bottle of sherry or something. <laughs> Certainly you won't be drinking any for a while. So, yes... The ride was lovely, and informative, too, though not on the subjects you'd expected. Your destination, it turned out, was the Aldergate Museum, and your route took you through University Place, along the High Street, and thence up Lamp Street. Well, what came next was inevitable, really. You and Baz, barreling into your shared past like that. She saw it coming, too. You fancy she pinkened even before you rounded the kebabalon leg of the slalom. Hard to say, of course. She does tend generally in that direction at the best of times. As each turn took you closer to the sight of Hobbs and Muse, however... Her cheerful, practical prattle dried up, and by the time you passed the south face of Mac's aunt, she was just sitting there in silence, picking at her thumbnail with a stuffed frog sort of expression. She was clearly hoping to hold her breath and wait it out. Alas, though Baz may have a heart as big as all outdoors, her lungs are nothing special. And it became immediately apparent that the journey past your old address would not be over quickly. Lamp Street at its widest is little more than a glorified alley, and this afternoon it was completely clogged with piles of suitcases and knots of damp and irritated-looking people who evinced no inclination to make way for vice-chancellors. Your chauffeur who, incidentally, would give Renzo Ray a run for his money in the beefiness department, got out to discuss the matter. Silence descended inside the cloudesque. You watched Baz with concern. She was staring straight ahead and turning mauve. Well, you had to ask, hadn't you? 
if only to save the poor thing from imploding. Baz breathed and coughed. Oh, ah, yes, well, you know, that is to say, rather. You may not be the world's premier diplomat, but there is tact in you when you want it. Delicacy, even. So, whilst heavyweight Henry was clearing the fairway, you began the ticklish operation of extracting the story from Baz. Not without trepidation. For all the emails and phone calls you've exchanged over the years, the subject of Bofax has been properly given the respect due an active minefield. You really didn't know how she felt about the whole affair. After all, you were there with Alistair when it happened, and after Neek shut down and shipped out, well, you just weren't sure. <laughs> Thankfully, it seems Baz's discomfort sprang from a far less dangerous and more amusing source. No spectres from the old days. Not that sort, at any rate. No. The sticking point for her is that it seems the prime mover behind the dwarf fortress that swallowed Hobson Muse is none other than Simon Arkwell. <laughs> Funny old world, eh? It turns out the Muse was his property all along, according to Baz. Can't say that's too much of a surprise. The Arkwell clan does own half the non-university debt in the city of Aldergate, and probably a fair amount of what sits atop it. Suppose that might, to some degree, account for why the fellow used to hang around so much. <laughs> Old Simon Arkwell, unofficial adjunct to the Bofax crew. He'd reel in unannounced, with half a bottle of champagne in one hand and a merry young thing, or three, in the other. Goad Sammy into a shouting match, flirt at Baz, flatter you, snub Neek entirely. Eventually, he'd spread out on the table in the Bofax boardroom, come breakfast nook, and snore for the next eight, twelve, sixteen hours. Huh. So, yes... That's Simon. You'd never have taken him for the hard-charging, construction magnate type. But, the way Baz tells it, when the investigators were done with the Hobson Muse site, the chap got off the mark like a scalded cat, greased palms and twisted arms, and had this new abomination in situ before the preservationists could open their mouths to object. They're none too happy about it, Baz says and you do not doubt her for an instant. However, even the most degenerate Arquell is an Arquell nonetheless. Also, much as the soppers may hate to admit it, a system dedicated to intransigence cuts both ways. The thing's there now, and there it shall stay, in historic landmark by the time they muster the authority to knock it down. Well, Simon Arkwell, man of action. 
Now people do change, eh? But it can't have been a complete transformation. He still paralyzes Baz. He... Uh, yes. Simon, well, you know Simon, of course. When they find a way to convert fascinated disapproval into electric energy, Baz will become a strategic national resource. Yes, well, he lives there now, mostly, I think. And he lets students live there, too. Independence, you know, after they leave the college residences. It's, well, I suppose it's very nice of him. We do desperately need the capacity, but... You could feel her working up to it. You were glad to hear that Simon is lodging students. Hobbs and Muse had sheltered half a dozen other little pods of scholars besides Bofax, and Aldergate can hardly afford to lose student housing. Needless to say, however, Baz has grave reservations. He's... he's got... he's created a, a community. You noticed that she was eyeing the tourists, whose luggage your chauffeur was now politely shoveling through the door of Casa Arkwell. They looked alright to you. Clean, well-dressed, apparently sober, and seemingly well-mannered, except in re-obstruction of the public thoroughfare. Baz did not seem to like them much, however. Uh, yes, he has... Visitors, and not just from out of town, our people as well, Ordigations. His congregation, he calls them. They have meetings here. <laughs> so, there you have it. Unexpected, but, well, you were right after all. It is a church, this gothic carbuncle that's replaced Hobson Muse. More hilarious still, it's the parish seat of none other than Simon Arkwell. <laughs> Just goes to show, what? The worst saints and the greatest sinners are cut from the same cloth, and often to the same pattern. You looked again at the inscription over the door. Quid? Wallace Illud Fack. And wasn't it also St. Gas who had that crack about make me chaste and temperate, but not yet? Him and Simon Arkwell, peas in a pod. And, like with chickenpox, adult converts do tend to take it pretty hard. Yes, uh, those meetings. It can get pretty noisy. Not that anyone complains, but, well, you know. <sighs> yes, yes, you can see it all perfectly. Of course, live and let live is the watchword of free inquiry, but there's a reason the mumblers have never got much of a foothold in Aldergate. You tried to picture Simon as a sulphur-spitting evangelical. <laughs> 
No wonder Baz felt embarrassed. Ah, you said, nodding sagely. Yes, of course. A bit of the old-fashioned hellfire, what? Baz sighed and nodded. <sighs> You're familiar with that lot, then? Oh, somewhat. You shrugged. You've got to remember, it's far more common in America. Not like in the bad old days, but there are always a few. And they're not shy. None of the English once-a-week-behind-closed-doors stuff. The Yanks like it right out in the public square. Baz looked aghast. You can't be serious. <laughs> Poor Baz. How sheltered a person can get up in the ivory tower. Oh, afraid so. They're a minority, but a dashed vocal one. You get used to it. <laughs> Unless your bells, of course. She complains about it bitterly. No doubt she objects to the placid assumption of moral authority, unconnected with hereditary wealth, goes against her upbringing. Personally, you've never let it bother you much, though there is a time and a place. Suppose it can be a bit of a nuisance, you admitted, especially when it gets mixed in with business. A month or so ago, we had a fellow go down on his knees right before he was supposed to ring the opening bell. Baz went from pink to green. Fortunately, at that juncture, your chauffeur returned, and the conversation turned to other matters. Well, you say conversation. Really, it was nothing of the sort. Baz, having regained her composure, took the airwaves by the collar. Must have realized that opportunity was escaping her. She cracked into a double-time cram school introduction to the university council. What it does, who's on it, what they fear and desire, whom they love and loathe. Yes, give Baz credit. She did give you your steward's briefing. You just didn't get it. Hmm. Oddest thing. There was no warning about it. No tightening of the neck, no graying at the corners of your vision. None of the signs and signals that usually herald the arrival of the trapped thing. And yet, there it was. Ordinarily, Baz lugs a big sort of carry-all about with her. A rugged, sensible, ballistic nylon thing, with slots and pockets for her pens and papers and protein drinks and so forth. Today, however, in deference to the occasion, she'd swapped it out for a little silky bivalve. The poor thing only had room for two of her phones, and the carabiner she still uses as a keychain, and even that was a struggle. A sub-ring lolled from her clutch's unclosable mouth, dangling keys and cards and a little brass pill fob. Inside that pill fob, 
unannounced and only barely audible, the teeniest, tiniest trapped thing woke up and began to struggle. Tink. Tink, tink. You ought to have just ignored it. You tried to ignore it, tried to focus on the highly sensitive, highly important information that Baz was gamely attempting to stuff into your ear hole. Tink, 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 tink. You listened to that little blighter for the full length of Lamp Street and East on Witch, while your impossible brain sipped delicately at a few useless, lonely details of the job you were off to do. Hostile voting block. Compulsory financial audit. Borderline alcoholic. Ugh. The tiny figment finally lapsed into silence just as you were rolling into Museum Square. The last of the twilight was burning out of the sky, but the moony globes of the lamps in the square glowed bright. And, well, perhaps you oughtn't to have been surprised, but there was a crowd waiting there for you to rival the one at your procession. A slightly drier one, too, and if they resented your tardiness, they didn't show it. A roar greeted your arrival, and the Warden College Brass Ensemble led the crowd in a thunderous rendition of Onward Aldergate. Hmm. It's funny, isn't it? No, not funny. It's a scathing indictment of your own self-centeredness. But, whatever it is... Well, you hadn't ever really thought about what it means for you to be picking up the university's reins. The Sir Reggie chapter is over, and a new one's begun. And that's tremendously important to so many incredible humans, quite apart from the particulars of little Adrian. Huh. The cloud-esque let you out on the north side of the square. Just across the street, you noticed a stately rank of town cars with City of Aldergate livery arrayed outside the Lignum Arms. Baz made a point of not noticing them. Can't blame her for being annoyed. You can't begrudge your fellow members of the University Council wanting to arrive in style, but save a chariot for the man of the hour, what? Anyhow, you smiled and waved, and the students and profs and townies and camera folk cheered. Baz marched you down the aisle that opened before you. Mounting the museum steps, you paused and turned to give one last big wave to your city, yours once again. Then Baz had you by the sleeve, and you were inside. Well then, banquet time at last, and time to meet the University Council.
Vice-Chancelloring may turn out to be a bit more work than our hero expected, but surely nothing he can't handle. Well, maybe. We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealtergatepapers.com Find The Altergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well. And spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward. You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy as Lothar Tuppen brings you Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast player. And thank you for listening, everybody. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.